0: Um, you know, we, we've been going through our, our sermon series through 1 Peter called Sojourn, and here's what we're going to do a little bit different today. We're just going to jump straight into it because there's so much to cover. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter, and we're going to launch off in, in uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Peter says this as you come to him, a living stone, speaking of Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6. For it stands in Scripture Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Uh, let's, Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. God, we thank you especially For those verses there, 9 and 10, that we are chosen, that we're a royal priesthood, that we were in darkness and now we're light, that once we were far from you and now we're close to you. God, I thank you that you've taken what seemed to be just a, a, a people spread out and doing their own thing and walking our own way and you gathered us together to yourself. And it wasn't the fact that we were doing so good that we caught your eye. It was actually the opposite, God, that we were sinners in need of a Savior. And in spite of our condition, you still brought us to yourself. And you changed us and transformed us. And God, we're so grateful for those of us this morning who have said yes to you to making you our Lord and Master and Savior. We're so thankful for what you've done. And so I pray that this morning that as we sit under your word, Holy Spirit, will you rekindle? Will you remind us? Will you revive the fire that, it, it, that might have grown dim? Whatever the things in our lives that we have pushed away, God, will you come and remind us of the truth of who you are and who we are in you? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here, here's the temptation when we're reading through this scripture. Um, This could totally get lost on us, the context of this verse. When Peter uses words like, you are living stones built up, you are a a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, Um, especially for our modern day context and culture, we don't really go, oh yes, that's super exciting, I'm a living stone, and I'm being built together, like, I don't know about you, but I remember like, even reading this this week. The the Pink Floyd came to mind. You guys know what Pink Floyd is? Another brick in the wall. We don't need no... You guys... Okay, I'm showing my age here a little bit. But there's a line in that song that says, All we are is just a, another brick in... And, yeah, you see, you guys know it. Okay. And for our modern day... Col- Culture and context, when we hear that you are living stones built in to make something, part of our heart kind of goes, Ugh, I, don't, I don't really like care for that, you know. Especially if we're Americans. We're like, America, you know, I'm an individual and like I have my rights and I'm special and all these kind of things. But see, we lose the context of that because we we assimilate it in our own modern-day understanding. But if we were to actually look at what the what the author here is saying to what people he sang it to, this would have been exciting news. See, remember, we're talking about the sojourn. We're talking about what it means to be exiles. And for someone who was who considered this earthly planet not their home, who considered themselves to be on a journey, a temporary home, who considered their home actually to be heaven, and to then experience all the, the persecution that came with that, because they're different. They're otherly. Remember we talked about holiness. It means to be set apart, set apart. and It means to be other than the world. And for a people who are going through this to, to, to live out this like exile journey. When Peter says you have been chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are living stones. This would have been like such good news for them. Um, I, I recently had a friend who took. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago but you know the, the ancestry.coms and the 23andme all those those things the dna tests and then you find out all, uh I recently just had a friend do this and he came back and he found out he's uh 40% native american and that's like that's pretty rare today that's pretty and that's a high percentage now the reason why I'm telling you a story is before he he kind of didn't know obviously that's why he took the test and so In his thinking, he was just kind of like off on his own. But then he comes to find out that he's 40% Native American. Now, I don't know if you guys know what the the ramifications of that are, but with the federal government, I mean, 40%, if you're Native American, there are privileges and rights that come with being a part of the nation. And it's almost the same when Peter's saying, hey, you, you once were just kind of doing your own thing. You were just kind of walking your own journey. But... God in his mercy revealed to you that he, by his grace, drew you into himself. And once you were a sinner, set apart, once you weren't a people, now you are a people. You have now had this great inheritance. You now are part of something bigger than what you thought you were on your own. And, And all the privileges and the rights that come with that. But it's not just the privileges, it's not just the rights, it's not just the inheritance. There's also, you, you, you read through here, and there's things that Peter says, because you are, now there's these identities that come along with this, and there's these things that, uh, the, there, there are the indicatives of that, the truths of it, but now there's these imperatives. There are these necessary things that, because of who you are, that you need to work out. And so what Peter's going to do and what we're going to package this morning is, is look at four of those things. Because we are living stones, what does that mean for us who call ourselves Christians? My encouragement to you this morning is I know that when I preach this, I'm combating the idea of individualism. I'm combating the idea of, you know, we are an island to ourselves, Right? We are, we are our own counsel. We are our own judge. And we like to be right and we like to listen to ourselves. Because that's the culture we live in. That's one of the highest things that is lifted up. Is individualism. And so my, my encouragement to you this morning is by the power of the Holy Spirit, allow God to chip away and chisel the individualism of your heart. Can you do that? I'm saying it too, because there's things in this scripture that I go, I wish that kind of wasn't there, you know? I'd rather write my own version like Thomas Jefferson did with the Bible and just rip stuff out that I don't like, but we don't have that privilege this morning. So here's, here's some things I think are helpful for us as we are encouraged about what it means to be living stones. Number one, you'll see here in verses four and six, but is that These living stones that are built together are built on the cornerstone or the cornerstone. So look at verse 4. It says, As you come to him, speaking of Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, what? Chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones. So what Peter's doing here is he's akinning us, if that's a word or not, Betsy, you can, you can correct me later. But he is, he is saddling us upside the, this sameness about who Christ is, the living stone. And he says, not only is he the living stone, but you yourselves are living stones. And not only was, uh, in verse 6, where it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And look at this, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's a beautiful thing. See, not only is Jesus, our older brother, a living stone that we look at, and we are like living stones, but he was also rejected by men. He was also misunderstood, just like you and I on this exile journey, on this sojourner's journey. And not only was he rejected by men, but then God says something about him God's attitude toward Jesus, he says, he's precious. And then he says the same thing about us, that we're precious. And see, the temptation for us as living stones is to put our foundation on the comforts of this world, is to put our foundation on the, the truths that we know and that we like. And, you know, but the problem with that is like when Jesus tells the parable about the, the house built on the sand, what happens? The storm comes, the rain falls, the wind blows, and it says, and great was the fall of that house. Why? Because the foundation was built on the sand. But the house that was built on a rock, the winds came, the rain fell, the winds blew, and the house stood firm. And for you and I, who are living stones built together, Jesus is the, the, the cornerstone. Now, what is this thing, cornerstone? Um, you might have heard capstone. You might, it, it, what, what is this kind of understanding of what this means? Okay, so what builders would do back in these times is they didn't have concrete mixers like we have today. Anybody ever mixed concrete before? Okay, so a couple of us have done that. And so what you do is you take this chemical and this compound, and you put uh, the right amount of gravel, the right amount of, amount of sand to get the, the perfect texture and perfect mixture so that you can, you can pour this uh, foundation out in a liquid form, and then what happens is it gets hard and it's, it's concrete, right? These guys didn't have that luxury. What they would have to do is find a cornerstone. And what a cornerstone was is they would search hard and long for what they could find is the most perfect square stone, and the reason why this stone had to be perfect and square is because the rest of the building is going to be built off of this stone. So, to the degree, if the ninety degrees, if it is perfectly lined, then that means that line is going to continue in a straight line, and this line is going to continue in a straight line, so that when they when they they go continue to go out, it's perfectly straight. It's like these chairs in here. We we constantly are changing these chairs to put them back together. And if one is off and you go off from that one chair that's off, what happens is they end up just becoming like all over the place and weird and scattered. And when Peter talks about Jesus being the cornerstone, he's saying, your foundation in Christ is perfect because he is the perfect cornerstone. And see, again, we got to go back to what's our temptation to put our lives on? It's other things. It's things that we find familiar and comfortable with. But when we align ourselves with the perfect cornerstone, we get a firm foundation in Christ. For those of us who are sojourners, for those of us who are exiles, this is good news. You don't have to give in to the things of the world. You're free from it. You're free from having to say yes to your temptations. You're free from having to reap the consequences of putting your hope in something that is not going to stand. That's such good news. Uh, you know, we, were, we lived in Houston for a while, and the year, a year later we, we moved to Houston, guess what happens? Hurricane Ike comes through. And I remember when we first got there, everyone was like, don't worry, There's, we... Have, we we won't get a hurricane for a long time, you know, it's like every so many years, don't worry about it. We move there, thank you very much, hurricane comes. And being from Southern California, my only understanding of natural disasters was earthquakes. And I was familiar with earthquakes, and I can handle an earthquake. I mean, I think I've had five earthquakes since I've moved back, you know, just laying in bed going, oh, I didn't even have to put a quarter in the machine. It's like... But moving there, this was so foreign to us, so we jet, high, we, we hightail it out, we go north about six hours, and when we come home, it is like an atomic bomb went off. I'm not exaggerating. An atomic bomb. An atomic bomb. Have you ever seen Mount St. Helens afterwards when all the trees were falling out, I mean, there were trees, there were boats, but here's the thing, homes that were near the water that weren't built on proper foundations, all you would see was these little sticks, where the house used to be. And what did the building codes, they changed after Hurricane Ike. You want to build a house near the water? Okay, you had to go 20 feet deep in your foundation, now you got to go 30 feet, and it's got to be so many feet high, and it's got to be, the pillars have to be this big around. Why? Because the foundations weren't strong enough. Jesus is the only firm foundation. I don't know what your foundations are built on. Is it 50% Christ? 50% your own good thinking? Is it 90% Christ? 10% your own good thinking? See, that 10% is going to get you in trouble. Thanks, man. It's true. My challenge to us this morning, put all your chips in on Christ. Be all in. He's the only firm foundation. Not only do we have a, a firm foundation in Christ, but we are living stones that are built to form A temple. Look at this. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built, what? As a spiritual house. A spiritual house. A temple. A place where the presence of God resides. That's what a temple would have been for these ancient worshipers. Okay, we, we have now, we still have temples, you know, you might see a Buddhist temple or, or a temple, uh, Islam, house of worship, whatever it is. And, and these are known for these religions as a place where God's presence is. But when Peter uses it not as physical buildings, he's talking about us as people, he says you are a temple. He's saying the presence of God, if you have given yourself over to Christ, the presence of God dwells in you. Now, what does it mean to be a living temple? I think the connotation here is highly relational because we are living, so, you know, on the outside of the facade of this building, have you ever seen it? Take a look at it when you walk out today. But you'll notice it's not just this one stuccoed wall. What it is is all these different stones placed together, right? And whoever built that they had to specifically pick each stone to see how it would fit together. There might have been some, some stones that the, the architect or the builder went and went, oh, this one's not going to fit in the way it is. And so let's chisel off some of this so it can fit perfectly in here. There might have been some stones that were just too rough and too rigid. And so the builder had to like sand it down. Or the builder might have had to notch off this sharp edge that would have caused damage to. The, I don't know." But see what the builder did is he, take, he took all these stones, and what he didn't do is make them all symmetrically like bricks. What he did is he took the essence of the stones, he changed them, he transformed them, he sanctified them, so to speak. And then what he did is he placed them into the wall. And so you and I are just like these stones on this facade of the building. But not, we're not dead. We're living. And so because we're living, what? What happens? There's relationships. Relationships can get messy. What's that saying? If you ever find the perfect church, don't go. You'll ruin it. It won't be the perfect church anymore. Why do people say that? Because there's no such thing, but also because relationships get funky. It gets, Marianne and I call it crunchy, whenever we're crunchy with each other. We could be crunchy, but here's the thing about being living stones. A living stone who has its foundation on Christ doesn't take its toys and go home when it gets its feet. You know what I'm talking about? You know kids on a, on, a, on a baseball field where the one kid's losing and he's like, fine, I'm just going to take my bat and ball and go home because I'm losing. We do that sometimes with each other. Somebody offends us and goes, we go, fine, I'm out of here. I'm taking my bat and ball and go home. Living stones don't bite each other. To try to get ahead. They understand the foundation is Christ. Not only is the foundation Christ, but there's, the stones aren't just stacked on each other laying there. There's this stuff called cement in between them, which is holding them all together. And that's our common bond in Jesus. See, the beautiful thing about us this morning is that we have a bond that is greater than anything the world can offer. It's, we're not an affinity group. We're not all here because we all love knitting, or we all love, what's the thing where you poster, scrapbooking, or we're all cyclists, or we're all really into working out, you know, no, we're all, we all have different hobbies and interests, but the one thing that keeps us together is our common bond in Christ. And that common bond in Christ is so much stronger than a knitting club, than a book club, than a scrapbooking club, then cyclists, whatever it is. You know, I heard a... Here's my encouragement to us this morning as a church. Let's just, let's just be real honest with each other. As living stones placed in a wall, that's part of the makeup of a church. You know, a builder doesn't go and, and, and bring a bunch of stones in a field with a, with a big old dump truck and go, all right, Johnson, drop it off here, you know, and then all these stones go, and roll out, and then he walks up and goes, look at that, isn't that a beautiful building, we go, what the heck, no, it's just a bunch of stones lying in a field, it's not until these stones are specifically put where they're supposed to be, that the building becomes what it is, where was I going with this, I don't know, but here, here's my challenge, oh, I know what I was going to say, see, our temptation is, because we sometimes want to go, well, how come my stone isn't, like, in the center and the top? How come my stone seems smaller and at the bottom? Or how come my stone is hidden behind that stone? What's up with that? And we fight for all these positions. But here's, here's what we're supposed to do. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Man, I'm running out of time, you guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Paul gives us this encouragement about the body of Christ. And he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So if you're a knitter, if you're a worker out, or if you're a scrapbooker, if you're a bicycler, or whatever it is, if you're, if you're tall, short, Thin, not as thin, you know, all those kind of things. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head of the, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our un, um, unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which one, Which of Sorry, Which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked, lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, what does it say? All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Man, Paul just like drops the mic, Right? Boom. And when we are tempted to go, eh, can my little stone's smaller, or, eh, I want the biggest centerpiece. Paul just goes, you're no more important, you're no less important. You're all important. And here's the thing, when we don't participate, what happens? Part of the wall's missing. When we don't play our role, we take our stone out and go, I'm taking my toys and going home. And we're like, hey, I feel that pain. There's a story about this, this building was falling down and none of the architects could figure out what was going on. Bernie might appreciate this because he's an architect. And they, they, they racked their head and they said, "We need to, you know what we need to do? is, Although we see on the outside and the top seems to be like tilting, we need to go down to the foundation and find out what's going on. And what they found out was a janitor... <laughs> was in the, in the basement of the building and every week he would get a little hammer and a chisel and knock out pieces of the brick and take it home because he was building a wall. And what he thought was, no one will miss this one little brick. No one will miss three little bricks. But see, because those little bricks were so important to the foundation and to the structure of the building it just began to fall. No one went down to the, bil- the basement and go, oh my goodness, look at this basement. It is beautiful. No, everyone stands on the outside and goes, oh my gosh, what a beautiful building. But they're just as important as the people gawking on the outside, the bricks are, as the bricks that are in the foundation. And for any of us here this morning who goes, well, I'm not the preacher. I'm not leading worship. I'm not, blah, blah. Ah, It doesn't matter. Every single one of us is important when you don't show up you don't show up and it matters don't believe the lie of the enemy all right oh my gosh we're running out of time not only are we built to form a temple but we are built to be a priesthood look at verse five you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house what to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what is what is this priesthood? That's not another that's another word that we don't normally use every day, you know. I'm not going to like go to Best Buy and t- talk about priest. I don't know why Best Buy, but you know, <laughs> you're not going to strike up a conversation with most people and talk about priests. They'd be like, are you like are you, like, hardly really hardcore religious? Are you part of a cult? Like, what is that? Like, so our understanding of what a priest is is kind of clouded sometimes. But what a priest is, what Peter's talking about, a priest is someone who would mediate between God and man, okay? So if I was a priest in these, in these times, Isaiah would have messed up, because that's typical, and he would have come to me, and he would have said, Dear Priest Kelly... Will you offer a sacrifice to God on my behalf? Because I was set apart to do this. Now, here's the beautiful thing for those of us who are exiles sojourning. When when Peter's saying this is who you are, he's saying you're a royal priest. You are priest. What he's saying is we've cut out the middleman. All right. It's like going to if you're a car salesman. Please forgive me, but if you've gone to, ever tried to buy a car from a dealership, what do you do? You can't go to the sales manager. You have to go to the salesman. And if you're like, well, we want this car for 10000 he's like, I don't know. Let me go talk to the sales manager. And then what happens? He goes to the sales manager. You come back, you're like, oh, my gosh, all he's got to give you is yesterday. And he comes back. He's like, well, he said this. And then you go, well, you tell him this, right? And then he goes back. And he goes, like, he doesn't want it. I don't know. I'm trying to make some money. He goes, well, can you just give him the deal? And you, you, know, you know the whole shebang, right? And we hate that process. Why? Because we just want to go straight to the guy and be like, this is what I want to pay. Take it or not, I'm out of here. And what becomes a four-hour thing, we could just do in 10 seconds. <laughs> See, the beautiful thing about when, when Peter says, you are a priesthood, he said, you don't have to go, like, to this guy and say, well, tell God I'm sorry. And then he goes, hey, Uh, God, he says he's sorry. And what do you want to say? Well, tell him I forgive him. And then so you go back. Well, he says he forgives you. Well, tell him I'm I'm thankful. Okay, well, that's over. We go straight to God and we go, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. We have the conversation face to face. Now, The context here, too, though, is Peter's not just encouraging people and saying, hey, you're a priesthood. There's a relational aspect because he says you're living stones built together to be a temple who does what? Oh, you priests, if we can turn that into a verb. We priest. Now, what does a priest do here? He says what? Look at in verse 5, to offer spiritual sacrifices. What are these sacrifices that Peter is talking to us? about. Yes, it's worship. Yes, it's all of who we are. Yes, it's us living our day in and day out and surrendering all of who we are to God as worship. That includes our finances, that includes our time, that includes our our talents, all these things that we serve. But here in the context, if you notice back in in chapter 2, remember when Peter says, so put away what? All malice, envy, strife, etc., etc. See, for us, who are living stones built together, standing shoulder to shoulder, built in a wall where we can see each other. Have to rub, you know, elbows with each other. Some people, are, you know, whatever it is, we're in proximity to each other. We're eating meals together. We're in life groups together. We're singing together. We're we're encouraging each other together. It's this life happening, and so he says, offer spiritual sacrifices relationally, and I would suggest that we could take those so put away like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and we replace it with the spiritual sacrifices that God has called us to do. So with malice, what do we do? We love one another. With deceit, we speak the truth in love to one another. With hypocrisy, we're authentic. With envy, here's a big one. We celebrate each other. When Just when he says, when one, one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. And so if somebody gets a job promotion, we don't go, wish I got a job promotion. We go, dude, it's awesome. Right? Let's celebrate. Why? Because when you benefit, I benefit. I don't, I don't stub my toe and go, stupid foot, I'm going to cut it off. So I never stub my toe again. Or you get how like bizarre this is that we treat each other with contempt because we don't understand that we're living stones built together. And when, we, when, P, when Peter says to offer spiritual sacrifices as a priesthood, he's saying live in relational harmony. Why? Because the common bond of Christ cements you and you have a common bond. You have a, you have a firm foundation of Jesus. It's a beautiful aroma to God when we do this. You know this whole priesting thing that you would offer incense to the Lord and God would be pleased with what he smelled? When you and I dwell together in unity and are loving one another and we're sacrificing for one another, that is like putting incense on the altar of sacrifice to the Lord. And when it goes up into the heaven, he smells and he goes, Oh, I love the way the church smells. It's almost like a steak dinner when you smell it. He's like, mmm, it's so good. That's how I think about it. Well, that's what smells good, okay? Number four, what's our, what's, what else do living stones do? And we'll end with this. Living stones are built to proclaim praise. He says this in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hey, will you guys throw those pictures of the buildings? Up? Okay, so uh, you, anybody recognize what this is? This is the Louvre. Okay, that's how you say it. The Louvre, the Louvre in France. Uh, I think the Mona Lisa is housed there in this, in this museum. Um, And this, and and show the next one. This one might be more, anybody recognize this? This is actually here in, this is the Disney Concert Hall. Now, here's the thing about architecture. The point of a beautiful building is, yes, we go, oh, look how cool it is. But for us who are to proclaim the excellencies of Christ as being living stones, we are to reflect the architect, not just the building. And so if you take this, this was Frank Gehry, I believe, is the architect of this. And what you do is you go, wow, what was Frank Gehry thinking when he built this together? Look at all the creative, you don't normally see a building that has all these curves on it, and it's all the reflection points, and and the material it's made of. What was, can you go back to the other one? Now, the the guy who who made this was I.M.pei, I.M.pei, like payway. okay? And this guy, you could look at him and you go, man, he must have a look at more of a methodical, very uh, mathematical approach to the way he builds buildings. And everything is perfectly, you know, structured. And so, what, even though the building is interesting and beautiful, the point of looking at a building is to say, who was the architect of that? What was the architect thinking? How did the architect put this together? How did the architect start off? What is What kind of foundation would a building like that need? And see, what we do often is we put the emphasis on the building. But if we are to be, be living stones to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, then people should look at us as a, as a people dwelling together in unity and go, wow, how do they stay so unified? How are they so loving to one another? Why are they so full of joy? Why aren't they full of malice? Why when someone hurts, why do they all hurt? Why when someone, when someone gets a victory, why do they all celebrate together? I wonder what that is. And it proclaims the excellencies of who Christ is. Our love for one another is one of the greatest apologetics of the gospel. Yet, we live on this 50% Jesus foundation, 50% our foundation. Maybe you're doing better than that. I don't know. See, when, when you see a building that's falling down, this I, I'm telling you guys, the, church looks, or the people look at the church, the world looks at the church and goes, what the heck? What is wrong with that building? Half the roof's caved in over there doesn't even have footers the windows are broken it's because there's all this backbiting taking our toys and going home how come i didn't get recognized we're supposed to reflect the architect we're supposed to proclaim the excellencies and we do that by the greatest apologetic is when we live in love with one another Man, we're out of time. Will you stand with me this morning?